Sometimes in life, it gets really busy, it gets chaotic, it gets hectic. The day-to-day life of living begins to take over. And sometimes you just got to step back and have a reset. You just kind of got to get refocused on what's important, what, what matters in life. Maybe the things that we know we should be doing, but over time we begin to get slack in those areas. We begin to get undisciplined in those areas. We've got to get back and we've got to reset to those things that we know were the keys to us living the life we were created for. There's nothing magical about January 1st. There's nothing magical about a new year. It's just another day. But we're big people on goals and we're big people on resets. And I think if there was ever a time for us to slow down and reset some priorities in our life and some things that help us in our walk with Christ, January 1st is a great time. It's the time of year that we always kind of do what I like to call an insider series. Not a lot of new people checking out churches in the month of January. People are kind of getting over the holidays, regrouping. And so it's kind of time we can have a family chat and just get back to the basics, for lack of a better word. Get back to doing what we know we should be doing, but maybe life got so busy that we've quit doing those things. There's, there's times in our walk with God that if we don't just stop, breathe, and reset, before we know it, we've kind of spiraled out of control. Those things that we know we need to do, that we know they're important to do, but, but we kind of forget along the way. It's not that we want to forget them. It's not that we don't think those things are important anymore. It's just that life happens sometimes. And I thought it'd be a good idea this month for us just to reset on some things. I'm not sure that there's any area in our life that we begin to take for granted. I'm not sure there's any area in our life that if we're not careful, we can neglect like we do the Word of God. It's just so easy to do. We know this book has the answers to whatever question we're asking. We know it's God's Word. We know it's a great direction place and the principles for us to live our life. But we just get so busy in life that we don't go to this book anymore. We go to our opinions more than we go to this book. We go to our preferences more than we go to this book. But there's power in this book. And so what I want to do today is I'm not going to give you any earth-shattering news today. I'm not going to tell you something you don't already know. But sometimes you just need to have a reminder. I was reading a leadership book the other day that a friend suggested to me. He said, what do you think about that book? And I said, man, it's a great book of reminders. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, there's nothing new in the book. I've read it all. I know all this stuff. But man, I'm so guilty of getting so busy that I'm not doing these things. I get so busy in my businesses that I I forget the small things that I need to do in my businesses to keep them thriving and keep them growing. The Word of God. In our country, we have access to the Word of God like no other country in the world. In my hand, think about this, in my hand, I hold the Word of God. It's amazing to me. This is my favorite Bible. It's a a simple Bible. If you've come to church here, you know I've preached from this Bible. Let me rephrase it. I've preached from a Bible like this for the last 10 years I've been the pastor here, the last five years at another church. So a friend gave me this when I first moved to Canton to start a 
church. He gave me a red Bible. I wanted a red Bible so bad, and you couldn't find a red Bible. And I had another pastor bring me a red Bible. And I preached in that book so much to the point that you made fun of me. The Bible had started to fall apart. It was shredding. It had become white because it was raw. And then Christmas Eve, somebody in this church brought me this Bible. And they said, I've been looking for years for the exact Bible that you had. And I found it on eBay, I think they said. And they said, I bought it for you. Isn't that amazing? So I get new year, new Bible. But it's the same Bible. It just fits my hand good. I just like red because that way if I throw it at you, man, you can see it coming. Black's kind of hard to see in this building. But it's just a simple book. But honestly, you can't put a price on this book. I mean, how do you put a price on the Word of God? Like I said, here in America, we're spoiled. Other parts of the country, like China, they literally have to smuggle the Word of God in through pages. Memorize the pages and pass them on. <laughs> and so today I want to do is just remind you of the power of this book. I want us to reset when it comes to the Word of God. There's a lot of things going on in our society today and a lot of things going on, a lot of different opinions on what the Bible says and what the Bible doesn't say. And the reality is we ought to know the Bible for ourselves, where we can make educated, and God-based decisions in life. So many people depend on what the preacher says on stage. If you're depending on what the preacher says on stage at this church, you are in bad shape. There was ever a church that you needed to know how to read the Word of God. It is this church telling you. Man, I'm just being honest with you. There's power in this book. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture... As God breathes. All scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting. Jerry, is that you? You promise it ain't you, Jerry? All right, I'm going to let Jerry live this time. Wouldn't be a church service without Jerry's phone going off, would it? If you're new here, we do threaten people from the stage every once in a while. We won't do that till you've been here three times before we threaten you. It's our rule. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible says that every word is God-breathed, so that it may be useful for you and I to do good works. To make an impact in our society. We don't operate based on opinions. We don't operate based on preferences. We don't operate based on religion. We operate based on the word of God. It's the final authority. And the Bible over time, whether you believe in God or not, is an interesting book. It's the most sold book of all time. Hands down, it's the best selling book of all time. You know, it's also the most shoplifted book of all time. It's the most smuggled book of all time. It's actually 66 different books wrapped up into one. This is an NIV, and it contains 773,692 words. It would take the average person about 70 hours to read this book start to finish. 
But there's one message throughout this entire book. The Old Testament, it's somebody's coming. In the Gospels, it's somebody's here. The rest of the New Testament, somebody's coming again. There's one hero and one enemy. There's one problem, sin, and one answer, Jesus. For all those that say there's inconsistencies, they don't know the Word of God and they don't know how to take the Word of God in context. From Genesis to Revelation, it points to Jesus. It's written by politicians, statesmen, farmers, shepherds, peasants, musicians, poets, even tax collectors. Written in all different types of places. It was written by Moses in the wilderness, Jeremiah in a dungeon. It was written by Luke while he was traveling, Paul while he was in prison, John while he was on exile on the island of Patmos. It's written in 13 different countries in three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. It was written in three different languages. And even though it was written by all these different people in all these different places and all these different languages, <laughs> written over the span of 1,500 years, the accuracy of the Bible is amazing. The consistency of the Bible is amazing. It's all about the character and the nature of God. The Bible, in every sense of the word, is the word of God, and we have access to that word, yet we neglect it like no other. We'll make sure we change our Sunday nights, and make no mistake about it, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you, because tonight I will be watching the season finale of Yellowstone, okay? But we can't find time for the word of God. We'll mark our calendar on New Year's Eve to make sure that we see Georgia beat the snot out of Michigan. But we can't open up the Word of God. It's consistent, it's true, it's inspired. And it covers so many topics. Scripture covers marriage, remarriage, adultery, sex, lust, greed, materialism, generosity, healing, hope, forgiveness, parenting, prayer, friendship, pride, obedience. It talks about heaven. It talks about hell. It talks about lying, murder, suicide, rape, fears, doubt, miracles, love, hate, money, criticism, creation. Whatever you're asking about, this book has the answer. It talks about government, discontentment, sacrifice, delayed gratification, Patience, faithfulness, enjoying life, self-control, disasters, injustice. It talks about demons. It talks about angels, discipleship, disciplines, fasting, honor, mercy. It talks about caring for the poor. It talks about how to handle your finances. It talks about family. It even talks about cats. Well, not really, but it talks about the devil, and that's the same thing. <laughs> so. The Bible says our enemy walks around like a roaring lion. A lion is part of the cat family, seeking whom he devour. Your cats are walking around, waiting for a moment to kill you. Don't worry. It's the word of God, and it's amazing. And we have access to this book. You don't have to come to the preacher for the answers. You don't got to go to some Bible scholar for the answers. We have the Word of God right here. But everyone always wants to ask, what about the, rea- 
reliability of the Bible. Is the Bible trustworthy? Is it accurate? Well, let's run it through the test. In 1952, there was a historian named Steve Sanders, and he came up with three specific tests to evaluate the accuracy of historical writings. He would go back and study these writings, and he would come, came up with three things that he would run them through the test of. And let's run the Bible through them real quick. And we're going to be short today. Because again, I'm not telling you something you don't already know. It's reminding you, resetting you, if you will. The first thing he said is he always looked at the internal test of a document. The internal test. Regarding the Bible, the internal test wants to answer the question, do the writers of the Bible, those who wrote the book, do they claim that their writings are true? Basically, do the people who wrote the Bible, do they say, it's just a story, I just made this up? Or do they say, no, I was there, I saw it, and this is accurate? Well, the Bible says this in 2 Peter 1.16. For we do not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So the writers in the internal test, based on historical writings and what they judge them by, it passes that test. The New Testament was written between 47 and, and 95 AD. There were plenty of first-generation believers during this time who saw firsthand everything the writers of the Bible said. At any time, they could have came along and refuted Scripture and say, I was there that day, and that's not what happened. But nowhere is there documentation that says that. So yes, it would pass the internal test. The second thing that he said that he would judge a document by is the external test. The external test. Because it's one thing for those who write something to say something about what they wrote. But what do others say about what they wrote? The external test. It wants to answer the question, what does the outside evidence say about the Bible? In other words, what do non-biblical, non-biblical sources say about the Bible? Do they confirm those biblical stories? Or do they say, well, those really aren't true? Do they confirm what is written on these pages? Or do they say, man, everything written in that book is a lie? Well, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's nothing we can argue about whether no matter what your religious beliefs are, whether you don't even believe there is a God, history proves over and over and over that there was a man named Jesus Christ. That's well established. No one will refute that. You can read all sorts of non-biblical writings, historical books that talk about this man, that talk about his teachings, that talk about his following. You can read Roman writers, Greek writers. You can go from Jewish sources where people over and over and over and over affirm the life of Jesus Christ. The first century historian Josephus, he wrote about Jesus, he wrote about John the Baptist, he wrote about James, he wrote about all sorts of other leaders in the Bible and the works of Josephus. If you've never read them, they're amazing. They're not biblical writings, they're not inspired by God writings. He was just a history writer who confirmed over and over and over things he saw that lined up with the Word of God. The book of Acts is proven throughout over and over the starting of the church. There's other 
historical writings that affirm so much of what happened. So the external thing when it comes to people passes the test. What about archaeology? Many Bible critics will discredit the Bible because they said archaeological discoveries don't support enough of Scripture. And for a long, long time, don't miss this, they had a very valid statement. Archaeological finds did not support the things that were taught in the Bible. But in the 20th century, all sorts of archaeological finds have been discovered that affirm the teaching of the Bible. They have found all kinds of cities that existed, all kinds of places that were listed in the Bible. And archaeology completely proves the authority of the Bible. Over and over and over again, they're discovering things. So it passes the external test. So we're talking about, is the Bible reliable? Because if we're going to put our faith in, we're going to put our trust in something, then it better be true. So it passes the internal test. The writers say it's true. The external test, no one refutes it. Then there's the bibliographical test. The bibliographical test. What this basically sums down is it goes down to how well were the original documents translated to today. Because that's important. There was an original manuscript. Someone came along. They didn't have copiers. Boop. There was no Xerox. There was Xerox the man. Word for word. Copying. How well were the original manuscripts translated today? One original manuscript, people begin to make copies of them. Sometimes they would make numerous copies of them. Let's talk about how the copies of the Old Testament were made. They would actually count up the words of the Old Testament. And when a new copy was made, they would count up the words there. If there was one word missing, they would destroy the entire manuscript. Had to be 100% accurate. If they found one mistake anywhere at all, they would destroy the whole copy. There was no going back and whiting it out. There was no hitting delete and inserting the new word. And because of this, in the Old Testament, there were very, very few copies of the Bible. Because they would either wear out or they'd be ceremoniously burned. They'd be destroyed if there were any imperfections found. So because of this, for centuries, the most reliable text was the Masiotic text. And this is what everyone based it on. It was this one text they had. And here's an amazing story, though. About 70 AD, the Romans were attacking the Jewish people. And they were trying to destroy their culture especially trying to destroy their religious heritage. So the Jewish people took all their scrolls, all the manuscripts, and they rolled them up and they stuck them in bottles and they hid them in caves. And there they stayed. And for 1,800 years, no one saw these manuscripts until 1947. And a shepherd wandered into a cave, go study it out, 1947, and he found all of these old bottles stuffed with manuscripts of the Word of God. It's what we know as the Dead Sea Scrolls. If you ever want to go study that out, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Archaeologists begin to move into these areas, and they begin to search other caves and begin to find more and more and more copies. And what was amazing was the accuracy of these scripts with the original scripts. 
They're without blemish. So it passes the bibliography test. How accurate are the biblical copies? Well, all we can go by is examples from other historical documents. For example, in high school, you might have read the Odyssey or the Iliad of Homer. It's the most accepted biblical, excuse me, it's the most accepted non-biblical historical writing around. There's 643 copies of the Odyssey. That's it, 643. That is mind-blowing how many copies there are of that. Plato's Republic has seven copies. Aristotle has five copies. Caesar's writings have ten copies. So the, 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 the most non-biblical historical document with the most things is the Odyssey 643. There's over 24,000 copies of the New Testament they found in these caves. So perfect examples that they can line up and match in accuracy and how they over and over and over lined up. When, when you compare the Bible against any other historical writing beyond a shadow of a doubt, the Bible stands alone. The Bible says its word will endure forever. God preserves his word. Not normally our, our thing around here. I'm not a history lesson giving teacher. I like to make you laugh and cut up and yell at you and spit on you and tell you you're going to burn in hell and all of those fun things that preachers like to do. I don't really like to give history lessons. But I've got to have a basis, if you will, for how powerful this book is. In every sense of the word, this book passes the test. But this week, I want us to become more than just readers of the book. I want us to intentionally take God's word and make it a priority in our life. I want us to begin to download it into our life. I want it to, us to allow it to begin to transform us into our life. People say the Bible's complicated. If you think the Bible's complicated, you've never read it. It's not complicated, it's simple. It's a list of principles. It's not a list of rules of things you can't do. Sorry, preachers all over the county who teach that. To me, what's so amazing about this thing is you don't even have to believe in God to get something out of the Bible. Now, once you have a relationship with God, it's going to come alive to you like never before. But there's biblical principles here for whatever you're dealing with. Whatever the question is, there's an answer. Always, it will guide you and direct you when you understand the power of the Bible, but it does you no good if you don't open it. As I look over my journey as a Christ follower, can I tell you my walk with God coincides with how much time I spent in this book. When my time in this book is good, my walk is good. When I'm only opening this thing looking for a sermon, my walk begins to veer off. Making time for what's important can be game-changing in your life. And I get it, we have seasons of inconsistency. Life happens, we get busy, and we begin to neglect things. We neglect our health. We neglect uh, time with our family. We neglect time with God. We don't open up his book. 
And we go through desert periods. And it's always funny to me when people are going through desert periods, how they, they, they begin to quit doing what they know they should do. If there was ever a time that you should double down on what you should be doing, it's those desert times. It's always amazing to me when people go through times of depression that they want to be away from people. I get it. I understand that that's what your mind is telling. That's what the depression is telling you to do. But common sense to tell you just the opposite. As my time in the Bible goes, so my time with God goes. And I want to encourage you this year to reset. I told you we're going to get out of here early. If you're a first-time attender today, do not get used to this. I'm a good hour every week. But I've been awful a little this week, not feeling too great, so we're going to be short. I'm only going to go for about 50 more minutes today. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive. The word of God is active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, to the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. We have a book that's alive. And because it's alive, it can work in supernatural ways and give you the answers to what you need when you need them. Lou, how many times have you read the Bible and you read the same scripture over and over and over, but depending on where you're at in life, that scripture speaks to you different? Because it's alive. I was listening to Grady preach a couple of weeks ago after he, I took the Sunday off and I was listening to the podcast and I got angry because Grady used the scripture and then preached on it. I thought, well, I've never looked at that scripture that way. I got angry because I didn't think of the thought. You're not supposed to come in here and look smarter than me. It's not how it works when you're the guest preacher. At different times in life, not that it's hard to look smarter than me, by the way. Different times in life, the Word of God can speak different to you. Because it's alive, it's always transforming, it's active in our life. You can read a scripture and I can read a scripture, and depending on where we're at in life, it can can change. But here's the problem, this can be intimidating. And I get that. I understand that. So I don't want to do what most pastors do and say, just read the Bible. That sounds really great. Okay, okay, here, let's read the Bible. It can be intimidating. 700,000 words, 66 books, all one book. Names I can't pronounce. I get it, I can't pronounce them either. Y'all see me skip them all the time. <laughs> it can be intimidating. So I want to give you some basic things today. Some elementary things today. To help us reset today. The first thing we got to do is, listen, this is groundbreaking. Are you ready? We're just going to pick a Bible. We're going to pick a Bible. Let's go get one. Now, that can be intimidating. How many of you ever went and bought a Bible before? 900 million different versions of the Bible. They're not all necessarily different versions. They're different. Um, they go back to the original manuscripts. I don't want to say they're inaccurate. They just are worded different. They use, choose to use different words. The most commonly accepted in our society would be the New International Version of the Bible. That's what I suggest to people. It's written in a modern language. It goes back to the correct manuscripts. Churches have fought over this forever. I know there's, there's a movement of King James-only people, and I get that. I memorized scripture in the King James because that's the kind of church I came up in, and I get it. 
not discrediting the King James Bible, but we don't speak like that anymore. So it can, it can, it can be a hard for you to understand at times. Now, if you just love the poetry of words and, and the beautiful elegance of words, and man, the King James is your version, but, but if you want a Bible you can understand and you want to go anywhere and get it, Walmart, Target, Christian bookstores, get an NIV version of the Bible. Keep it simple. Don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. That's what I preach from up here. Someone asked me, I said, when you put scriptures up there, they make sense to me. I, I don't know because maybe it's because NIV. I, I don't know. Maybe it's because it's bigger. I don't know. Maybe because I'm explaining it to you. Pick a Bible. Greatest things you can do in your life is go get a Bible. If you can't afford a Bible, you come to me and I'll make sure we get you a Bible. It's easy. Not going to embarrass you, not going to call you out. I'll have you a Bible next Sunday. That's simple. Great thing about today, and we'll get to this a little bit, you can actually download the Bible to your phone in two seconds. I'll get to that in a minute. Pick a Bible, pick a Bible. Second of all, this is groundbreaking. Are you ready to have your world rocked? After we pick a Bible, we're going to read the Bible. It's amazing. It's amazing. We're going to read the Bible. You're going to open it up. You're going to read. But where should we read? I always tell people, start right here, one of two places. In Proverbs. Proverbs is a dad passing wisdom down to his son. It's the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, passing wisdom down to his son. Every verse is just wisdom. Boom, boom, boom. Hey, watch out for whores. That's one of the, that's one of the things. It's Gary Lamb version. You know what I mean? But like, like, you know, it's just like, it's just full of wisdom. Full of wisdom. Good advice, Dad. Thanks. Don't listen to gossip. Learn how to manage your money. Here's the amazing thing about Proverbs. 31 chapters. Do one a day. Literally would take you three minutes a day. I'm not telling you you got to go read your Bible for four hours a day. Just start. Read a chapter. Been a Christ follower now for, man, I am old. Not as old as some of y'all, but most of y'all, but I'm old. Speedy always says, you're getting old. I said, but you're 10 years older than me, so if I'm getting old, what are you? We're just going to read. I still read Proverbs probably 99% of, every, of all the days. Just read it. You talk about it always speaking to you different. God, there's so much wisdom in it. It's like the bumper sticker of Christianity, man. It's just every verse. It's just wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. It's easy. And also, you can start in the Gospels. The Gospels are the first part of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. New Testament's the second part of the Bible. The part after Jesus is born. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospels, the good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's, it's the life of Jesus. Start in those two places. When you get past those two places, I, I, I got other places you can go. Go to Acts, talks about the early church, Romans. All you men that think the Bible is boring, go to the Song of Solomon. Tire book in the Bible about sex. Your wife will thank you. 
but you're not ready for that yet. You won't understand it. Got some old sermons for you. You can go listen. I broke it down before. Just go read it. Just open it up and read it. Here's the third thing we're going to do. As you read the Bible, I want you to have a piece of paper with you. And just write down your thoughts. There's no wrong thoughts. Write down whatever it is. Questions you may have. Thoughts you may have. What if they're wrong? They're not wrong. They're your thoughts. How did that scripture move you today? Write down. And again, I'm not talking about writing a book. Just write down a couple of I'm just trying to help you. Basics. Reset today. We're going to write down thoughts. After a week, now, we're going to stay here for a long, long time. After you write down your thoughts and you begin to want more, because trust me, the more you eat, the more you're going to want. I don't know why it works that way. It just does. It's kind of like chocolate cake. The more chocolate cake I eat, the more chocolate cake I want. As you can tell. We're going to study the thoughts of reputable scholars. That does not mean get on Google and read every nutcase out there. Some reputable scholars. And just read their thoughts on what you read. You'll get clarity. But remember this, though. It's just their thoughts. Just like it's your thoughts. After we pick a Bible, read a Bible, write down our thoughts... We're going to apply it to our life. How does what I wrote down apply to where I am at in life? This is where the Word of God will become alive. Because how it applies to your life might be different than how it applies to my life. How does this apply to me? How is God's Word speaking to me? Say, Gary, I don't know that I'm going to get to that point. You will, but you got to do the other points first. You got to pick a Bible, read a Bible. I don't understand the Bible. When's the last time you read it? Well, I don't read it because I don't understand it. Well, maybe if you read it, you understand, you understand it. You're not stupid. If I can understand it, you can understand it. Trust me. You're way smarter than me. Pick a Bible, read a Bible, write down your thoughts. Apply it to your life. How does this apply to me? But that's not enough. It's not enough. After I determine how it applies to my life, we're going to live out our name. We're going to put it into action. It's not enough to be a hearer of the word. We've got to be a doer of the word. Got to be a doer of the word. Our, Our faith is dead if it doesn't have action behind it. We've got to put into practice what we're learning. The Bible says to him that knoweth to do good and do it not, it is sin. So once God has spoken to you and told you how to do something or what you should do in your life and you don't do it, now you're in sin. You've got to put it into action. Talk is cheap. The church in America is phenomenal about flapping those jaws about what they're going to do. And horrible about doing it. That's why we changed our name to Action Church very early on. Because we wanted to be a church that put into action our faith. Tell people all the time, we're not the prettiest church around. 
Newsflash. <laughs> we ain't the biggest church around. But man, we're the church that's wanting to get messy and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Because I don't ever want to teach anything around here that we're not willing to put into action. That'd make us hypocrites. I can't stand hypocrites. So how's God telling you to put it into action? It's always amazing to me to watch people get into the Word of God and watch how God begins to move in different people's lives. Later on in this series, I'll tell you one of the first things God spoke to me about when I began to read the Word of God. Might not be the first thing He speaks to you about. Might have you in a different direction. So we're going to pick a Bible. It's not complicated. NIV, go grab you an NIV Bible. You go to Walmart. If you can't afford a Bible, come to me. I'll get you a Bible. Read the Bible. Write down your thoughts. Matter of fact, we might even skip that when we study the thoughts right now. Don't even worry about that part. We'll get to that later. Write down your thoughts. Apply them to your life. Put them into action. Now, here's the amazing thing about the study of the thoughts of reputable scholars. They're all at the fingertips of your phone. This might be one of those things you want to take a picture of, but I'm going to give you a bunch of resources online. Every one of these are great, reputable resources. That you version, every one of you here should go into your phone, to your app store, and type in you version. It's free. You cheap asses, it's free. Great thing about the King James Version of the Bible is it says that word. So I wasn't cussing. You version has every version of the Bible you could ever want. But here's also what it has. Thousands upon thousands of devotions and Bible studies on any topic you could ever want. Stress, divorce, anxiety, depression, addiction, anything. And it will pop up simple little Bible studies that you can follow and every day to send you a reminder. You'll read the verses, read the reputable scholars' thoughts on it, and it'll begin to grow in you. You know the other thing? I don't do this part of it. But you can connect with other people on their friends, you know, and you can do Bible studies with other people at different times on there. You can see, you can take notes in you version. It's a church out of Oklahoma that came up with this, the most, probably one of the greatest apps ever, you version. But Crosswalk, Bible study, Study Light, Bible Gateway. Bible Gateway is what I use for all of my sermons. These are all great resources. You take out your phone, take a picture of it. Basically, what I'm telling you is, is you have no excuse other than your own laziness to not be in the Word of God. It will change your life. If you want to read the Bible in a year, version has a way. you can read. It will show you the, what you've got to read every day to read it in a year. You say, I can't do that. Cool. If you want to read the Gospels in a year, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can follow a program on there, and every day it will put those verses to you. What you got to go read, take you right to them, boom. You have no excuses. It's like idiot proof. Pick a Bible, read a Bible, write down your thoughts, apply it to your life, put it to action. I'm telling you, 
This book will change your life. As we start a new year, and the media is throwing fear at you, and the society is throwing fear at you, build your faith instead of your fear by getting in this book. Simple series. I'm going to talk about prayer in the coming weeks. We're going to talk about Jesus in the coming weeks. We're just going to get back to the basics for a couple of weeks. And then we'll get into some of our other series as the year goes on. But I think sometimes we need to reset. The winter months are the busy time for us right here. We do our big Thanksgiving outreach, give Canton the bird. We do our Christmas push. We do all the stuff that we do. And it's so easy to get so busy in the work of Christ that we forget about the personal worship time of Christ. And the only, if the only time you're getting the Word of God is through me on Sunday, you're not getting the Word of God. It doesn't matter if you had the greatest preacher in the world. If all you're getting is one, you're eating one time a week, you're starving yourself. Get in the book. Start your day in the book. One chapter a day. And watch it transform your life. Just reset this year.